Welcome to Intriguing Beings, a new podcast with me, Rue Chater. Over the last 20 years, I have been lucky enough to meet and interview a host of interesting people. This summer, I decided to record some of these conversations for a new podcast. Episode 2 with Steph Bridge. Steph Bridge is a multiple world champion kiteboarder. She runs several successful businesses with her husband, Eric, and they have brought up three world-class kiteboarding sons. At any one moment, they can be scattered in all four corners of the globe, yet somehow Steph and Eric manage to find the time to keep on top of life. She's an incredibly busy lady, so to get some quality time with her at the Armada was fantastic. We have an interesting discussion about kiteboarding's inclusion in the Olympics, bringing up the boys and nurturing their interest in kiteboarding and other sports how she manages to find the time for it all, and the one thing she holds most dear. This week's episode was recorded in between two beach huts at the Armada, so I apologise for the odd seagull, and for Steph's phone going off right at the beginning. I really hope you enjoy this one. You can hear these all over the internet now, and they are posting to YouTube too. Be sure to tell your friends, and help spread the word on social media about the Intriguing Beings podcast. I'm having a conversation with a lady called Steph Bridge, who's one of my favourite kiteboarders in the industry. She's won countless events, world champion, incredible wave rider. She's also a mother to three boys who all kite surf at world level as well. And she's got a husband called Eric who helps keep the whole family going with Steph. And they run a business down in Exmouth with a kite shop and a kite school. And they do a lot of work promoting youth kiteboarding as well, which has been a big focus for them. Steph, I first met you a long time ago now. I think it was in Cape Verde. And when I first met you, I hadn't met you before. I knew of you and I'd heard about you. And I went on this trip with you and I was just blown away by the amount of energy you had, which is funny because you said you're tired right now. Uh, But the amount of boundless energy that you had and that we went out to that wave off the coast in that little boat and it was sketchy as hell and you were riding strapless before anyone was really riding strapless and this was an offshore reef break that was sort of triple overhead and you were getting chewed up and spat out and just kept coming back for more and that was my kind of first experience of meeting the enigma that was Steph Bridge and I thought wow you're hardcore and also on that trip we did some upwinders on the surfboards because you had just got into racing. It was the first one with the two fins, wasn't it? That yeah. first North race board was kind of the one yeah. that was the production model. Yeah, that one in 2009. And no, in fact, I've been really lucky. I've been supported by North Kite Boarding since, since 2005, actually. Oh, since 2005? Yeah, when the fifth element came along. Okay. Yeah, so that was... That's been a really great um, journey with them, and uh, in fact, yeah, that, that trip when, was in 2005. <clears throat> that was before racing, right? So you yeah. were just supported by them as a for freestyler. freestyler. Yeah, I did actually um, twin tipping. Did do the twin tip thing. <laughs> I was in the day of the dangle pass, which many people will remember me learning, but I pretty much wrecked most of my body um, freestyling when I probably shouldn't have been. But I, I really enjoyed that, and um, I think it was 2007 actually when the first race event. In fact, it was Dickie Gowers who said to me Steph Bill you've done a load of dinghy sailing a load of racing how about going out to this event and we went and he, and, and I looked at it and uh, and it was in Portimao in Portugal okay in 2007 uh, and I he, and I said well I, you know he said would well, you just go around the course like you would and I said yeah well that's fine let's get some big kites so I got some big kites and I took my uh, directional ball with my, without my straps okay and um 
just a normal strap. With yeah, it was board. a uh, it was a rocket fish. Yeah, I remember that board. Yeah, yeah. big board, one of the yeah. first ever surfboards that was yeah, well made. made. By a kiteboard, a kiteboarding brand yeah. surfboard, basically. Yeah, and so took that without the straps, turned up and um, entered the first race. It was all there's about you know there's about 60, 70 kites there. And, um, and we're all going upwind, and it just feels like, you know, back in the day of dinghy racing, yeah. get around the wind with Mark in third, um, and think, well, this is all right. Yeah, I'm doing you know, this okay. Is, doing okay. So I did the whole event and, and won that for the women. And we were all mixed with the guys, and so I don't know where I was, but I was, I was definitely top ten in the guys. So and um, the with Mark in third place, racing the guys. Yeah, on my First directional board. Yeah, standing really far forward. And, and uh, <laughs> at the time, I took, um, in fact, it was funny because I took Ollie with me, because Eric said to me, well, if you go, you've got to take one child, because I can't manage all can't these. Can't leave me at home with the three boys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I said, OK, I'll take Ollie, because he was just learning to kite. And I... And, um, and so uh, he actually ended up on the boat putting the flags up for Olaf. Okay. And um, that was his kind of first taste of, you know, competition and, and yeah, yeah, all that. And things like yeah. that. Yeah. And then, and then at the end of the event, it was quite funny because they said, um, they said, Steph, you've done really well here. Um, you should go to the next event. And the next event is next week in Fuerteventura. And I'm like supposed to be this mum, and this, this you know, running this your business yeah. at home. So I, I phoned up Eric and I said, Eric, they, that, that, you know, they want me to do this, and I've just won a bunch of money, so I could, you know, I yeah, can actually go. Got some cash. So we took a flight out of Seville, I think, um, and uh, flew across to Ferta to do oh, wow. to do the uh, to, to do the, the next yeah, one. Yeah, and I managed to get a twin tip for that one. Yeah. One of these, it was a um, it was a Phantom. Okay. So they were wide tipped. Yeah. Uh, twin tips. And uh, yeah, and I won that, and then I came back to England, and then there was another event like with not, a bunch of in, prize yeah, money. yeah, yeah, another event about three weeks later in Germany, in which I I think we drove the motor home there, and my prize money paid for a for a hot tub that uh, yeah. a ship back to the UK. So That's that first it. year was kind of like quite quite a sort of you know three races, three yeah, wins. Yeah, it was really amazing. So that was the start of it. So thanks to Dickie for pushing me on that route, really. Yeah, and that's Dickie Gowers, who was the head of the BKSA in yeah. the UK at the time. Yeah. Wow, so if and he hadn't have said, you should go and do this, you might not have gone. I, pre- I think I probably would, but not maybe at that time, yeah, because then, then obviously the boards and things started to happen, and yeah. uh, that started to get quite exciting around, you know, what board we need, and we started playing with line length. I remember us using, like, 35-metre length lines. In fact, it was Gebby and Bruno Stroker. They were all messing around with line length just to go start going in light winds, really. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually amazing what you could do with an inflatable kite in light winds. I know we all talk about the performance now and the six knot, but you know we were doing quite a lot in eight knots yeah. with inflatable kites and light winds. Yeah, and those big old race boards. That yeah, sort of developed into yeah, but they those green beasts. boards didn't really come till 2011. Late, yeah. yeah, so before that it was a mixture of two fin stuff. Yeah, um, and uh, they were they were fu- quite fun to ride. Yeah, you know they were they weren't that hard, but you know they they still took some go getting upwind because the proper race boards these were like 70 centimeter wide formula boards they were a beast to ride weren't they they were hard work on your ankles and yeah there was a lot of control going on yeah some very powerful calf muscles yeah yeah no you needed to put a lot of hours in those yeah but i mean just no different really to what it is now with the hydrofoil um and I guess it was the person that spent the most hours on the boards that, that was doing the winning. Yeah. It wasn't long 
before like Ollie was really dominating that class. Yeah, because he um, got into it quite quickly, didn't he? He was yeah. the first one of the sons. So you've got three sons. You've got Ollie, the eldest, Guy in the middle, and Tom, the youngest. And Ollie was the first one to sort of go down the racing route with you, wasn't he? Come yeah. Race weekends. Yeah, he was really he was quite into young it. Then, still, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was, you know, he was sort of getting European titles when he was fourteen for wow. the for the men's, and um, and none, none of the other really other boys really got motivated for it. And it was only really when the transition came. So 2012, that was an Olympic sport. Um, 2013 was a transition between the Formula 3 fin board yeah. still being in existence, but yet they were developing the foil class. Yeah. So really 2013 was, was when everyone really switched. switched. Yeah. And yeah. now you're racing around on these hydrofoils, which for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, if you're not a kiteboarder and you're just listening in, um, it's kind of like an aeroplane wing underwater. It's probably the simplest way to describe it, isn't it? So you have a mast attached to a wing underwater and the mast is attached to the board on the top and you're kind of balancing on a... On knife edge. On a knife along edge flying along knots. at... Yeah, 40 knots. Yeah. Which is, I think it's got to be the most exhilarating uh, sailing sport there is, isn't it? It can't get much more exciting than that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't get motivated to go moth sailing. Not when, <laughs> not when I've got kite racing on, yeah. on hydrofoil um, I'm sure it's going to evolve because um, oh dear that could be oh, that would be your phone that's alright yeah. I was like am I beeping that's ok <laughs> um, no worries so, um, so you know who knows uh, if you'd asked me five years ago what we'd be doing at this stage I, I probably wouldn't have predicted we were going this crazy speed and this amount of wind yeah. and at this level so um, I think who knows what the future I th- holds I think, I think there'll be some more development in the next three or four years um, and then it'll get on the lockdown for the Olympics in 2024. Yeah, so that's big news in kiteboarding at the moment. That, that They've got this Youth Olympic Games this year, which is in Buenos Aires, right? Yeah. Uh, and then in 2024, it's going to be in Paris. Yeah. And there's the Youth Olympic Games are using a twin-tip format. Yeah. Any of you boys interested in that? I know Tom did a couple of races. I saw a video of him kite looping when he was meant to be racing. Yeah, <laughs> lock, getting Tom on the lockdown um, to, to sort of discipline yeah. on the water has always been quite a challenge and um, he's a bit more of a freestyler but in fact I think he could have gone quite a long way Tom with that um, unfortunately he broke his ACL at, at, uh, at the first event. to qualify in Morocco no. um, so that blew his his Chances, opportunity yeah. to, to, to qualify in England yeah. for, for the Youth Olympics um, and in, in, in fact yeah no I think despite the fact that you know although his headspace takes a little while to get on it he was, um, he, you know, he was showing some pretty good results in in the um, in the heats, and um, you know, he'll look back on that, I'm sure, and think, you know, what, what a bugger, because been? because it, it is a nice thing to do for for a young, for any person, and particularly seeing as so this was the first of the Olympics for kiteboarding, and um, it was on it was on a twin tip, so it was all quite straightforward, not really, you know, not very complicated, not really gear gear driven, real, you know, real talent yeah. driven. Um, admittedly, the qualification was tough because it was 12 yeah, guys. Yeah, there was a lot of events you had to yeah. go to, right? And it cost quite a bit of money to yeah. go to. It was an interesting sort of format yeah. they decided on for that, really. Yeah, but, but that's all been decided. So the great thing is is that it's in for the youth. Admittedly, um, I think the, 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 the whole strategy around it being on a twin tip was that you know a lot of um, under-17-year-olds do want to be on a twin tip 
Yeah, and so it fits with their style of riding. Yeah, and if you're 13 and you live in Croatia, you, you're going to have a twin tip. Yeah. There's not that many that would, would afford at that stage. Um, so I think it, it's a quite a universal class all over the world. So I think although it's not the class chosen or will be chosen for 224, um, it, it has a place in the Youth Olympics. Yeah. And have you got any idea what's going to happen for 224, whether it's going to um, be... I'm pretty sure it's, it's formula. So okay. they, 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 it's formula foil. So, it, well, because it's formula, it means it will be foil. Yeah. Um, the the debate will be, so it's a mixed medal, so it's one guy and one girl okay. um, being selected for the, their country. Okay, and so one guy from England and one girl from England will yeah. go to the Olympics yeah. in 2024. And it will be a one shared medal. Okay. Okay, so it's really important that... that um, that we get some good girls coming, coming in and it. yeah and getting in, you know it's quite a short cycle really we're already yeah there's not long no no six years yeah so it's um the the royal yachting association as well as the british kite surfing association are working hard to um to to get some uh athlete talent yeah. or, or talent identification to try to Find establish yeah a lot of the people will come from probably sailing and there'll be some from windsurfing as well yeah because and that sailing knowledge and yeah. racing knowledge is invaluable right yeah that's probably the hardest thing to learn yeah yeah no completely so you know there's that and um it's it's, it's still quite a challenging task um because we had a similar situation in 2012 when we had to convert some of the windsurfers um but then they were on a board that they were similar to what they were using when they were windsurfing. Yeah. Whereas now they've got to learn the hydrofoil. And also there's quite a lot to learn with the foil kites as well. Yeah. And uh, so the format will probably be something like a relay or, okay. a, or, or um, where they'll, you know, the guy will do the lap against all the other countries and then come around and come through a gate where they'll do like a bat and swap. And then the, the girl will go. And then the girl will go. Or it'll be a timed affair. Okay. And the ha that hasn't been decided, so that's going to get tested in the next sort of two years. So it's quite an exciting time, really, for kite racing. Yeah, the it's really There's exciting. Yeah, and you know, I'm certainly not, you know, I'm not thinking that um, I'm going to go all the way, but I'm going to stay in it for as long as I can. Yeah. Um, and enjoy this kind of journey with with the, with the, the boys, and and also, you know, you you kind of invested a lot of time and money and resources into the sport so far. Um, it's really, it's really quite important to stay, to stay with it, and also to steer some of the national governing bodies in the right regime to to coach as yeah. well. And are the RYA quite behind it now? Um, I know for a while they were sort of a bit standoffish. Have they now realised, okay, it's in 2024, we need to start putting some money into it and getting behind it, or are they still a bit like, oh, it's kiteboarding, we're not? Yeah, no, they're, they're really, they're really behind it. They've they've accepted the fact that they're going to um, embrace it. Okay, they've um, we've had a a fairly good meeting they're going to support uh, us for the world championships which are in um, Denmark in four weeks time okay so paying the entry and supporting as far as coaching and um, physio and support at the event and then um, because that event's quite important to to get some sort of uh, idea of where you're ranked in the world yeah which will then be determined by um, Sport England uh, supporting athletes for if they're top 10 and if Sport England support the athletes then you become under the British sailing team and, and then you get funding and then yeah yeah and, and that'll all kind of get happen it, they'll, they'll wait for everything to confirmed in the November decision yeah so it probably won't be in place till, till January okay. so yeah quite a lot of changes particularly yeah. for our boys I was going to say because you've got Ollie who's uh has he won the world title yet no, no not come quite. very close but he's won the youth world title yeah. hasn't he but he's then won. Guy who 
is the middle son wasn't that interested in racing and all of a sudden he's on the podium yeah. beating Nick Parlier at the yeah. recent race event that was going down which was pretty amazing it was like oh guys stepped up to the plate so you've got two boys that are potential yeah, it's Olympians gonna, right there it's going to be very very interesting and also I mean, there's also Tom who might come out of the woodwork and suddenly you know, decide he wants to have a go yeah, and, and then there's going to be I mean not, not just our boys but you've got Connor who's um, yeah, who's, Connor who's really pushing and doing really well with a foil uh, and there's going to be other yeah there's, there's six there's, years there's, I guess there's going to be then, yeah so. there's going to be other kids that are, that are going to look at it and if you do something every day in good conditions for a long time you're going to get you can't help but get really good but admittedly, the boys are coming in with a, a big head start. Are they quite focused towards it? Are they recognising this is a huge Olympic opportunity and we're into it? Or are they, I know they're sort of teenagers, so are they yeah. still kind of like, yeah, it's all right, whatever, I'm not too fussed? Or... Yeah, I think um, I think a guy in particular is really focused and, okay. and driven. Ollie, you've got to remember, has been in it since... Fer- since He's the been two- doing it a long time. And he got he? really hurt after 2.12 he was really set on 216 being his year for the Olympics so he's going to be a little bit older yeah. and I think he feels that he's got an opportunity for the next sort of six months stroke a year of actually doing a bit, bit other disciplines uh, and other projects with his life Yeah. Um, because in fact it's not going to be that formalised for a bit Yeah. and so he's sort of saying well okay I'm going to do this for a while and then come back in and yeah. um, he'll do the world and things but he won't, yeah. do all the events. won't do all the events and then I think for Tom um, yeah um, who knows I, I, I can't really see Tom having the same mental attitude as Guy who's extremely competitive yeah um, but we'll we'll see Guy's also surprised us both <laughs> so you never know so no. Tom could surprise you just yeah, like yeah, Guy has. yeah yeah and you know um uh you know he'll he'll also see it as an opportunity, and and not only in 224, but you know it'll stay in and it'll probably come in in different format for 228, where there'll be hopefully two medals, if not a bit more. So uh, the fact that it's in for 224 opens up um, kiteboarding to the masses, and more importantly, uh, you know shows them what we potentially can do, yeah. and hopefully gets get some other medals as well. Yeah, it's quite an exciting time, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot going on. Yeah, I mean it must be. It must be quite tricky managing, you know, your business interests. Because I know you've got, um, like, a it's not even really a guest house. It's almost a hotel, isn't it? That new building that you've been working on. And it takes 20 people and you're renting it out. So that's obviously quite a big focus. You've got the, the kite surfing school and the, the youth, um, you know, gang that you've got down there that you coach as well. And a kite surfing shop. And then three boys and obviously a house to run. How, how do you get around the logistics of... When someone's got to go to a competition here, who decides who goes? Whether it's you or Eric, or who's yeah. going to stay home with the kids? How does that kind of work? Is it sure. very fluid? Or um, yeah, it is really. I mean, Eric's obviously a legend, and he um, holds the whole thing together. Um, however, I, it generally is me that goes to the events, um, mainly because I can. Uh, you know, I've done done them for many years, and also I can also compete still, which I think yeah. is quite quite good, um, and. I guess yeah. As far as the juggling goes, it's just twenty four seven really. It's um, it's it's all on. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of time for socialising when when it, when we're in our season. So our season is sort of April through to um, November, and th- this time is quite difficult because we've got the the Europeans and the Worlds happen in the summer months. Right. So it's a little bit more challenging. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> Um, somehow, it all somehow it all works. I think we've been, Eric and I have been working together since I was eighteen. Wow! So we kind of got a good, got a good 
gel yeah going. i think so we've got a little bit of gel or just just madness yeah it yeah. must be um yeah i mean i see it from the outside and i just don't know how you do it because it just looks like you're here there everywhere with three boys because we've talked a bit about ollie and guy and their racing career but tom's you know one of the best freestylers um in the world when he's not injured uh which he's been injured a lot and he's suffered with a lot of injury over the years so it must be I don't even know how you cope with organising them yeah, all. Making I guess sure they've the, all got with their Tom, kites and their boards and they're all packed up and we're all ready to go. And you know, it must be you must be packing kiteboard bags all the time and making sure you don't forget stuff. It must be a nightmare. Yeah, you want to see the packing list. We, we did create a packing list a few years ago. It's a really good system, so it's a military style. So yeah, there is that, so that nothing really gets forgotten. Um, Tom's obviously been really um, priority to get him to get him fixed up. Um, he had a bad knee two or three years ago and yeah it's just you know I think the freestyle does take it out on on the kids particularly at that stage when they're growing so much and the bones are not the bones are still growing and also they haven't really developed perhaps as good a uh, training program right. as they could have done. Yeah, so they're you not know, that, looking after themselves yeah. outside of the yeah. actual ride, and they yeah. just go down and throw down. They go the down, they throw their stuff, they go surfing, and they go for a bike ride. But actually, it's kind of got a bit, bit, bit more yeah. regimented. Whereas so, a top level athlete at the age of twenty four would be training his muscles yeah. to do those tricks yeah. and really thinking about it more yeah. as a sort of you know mature. Yeah, and it's quite difficult, isn't it, when you're young to sort of get that remain yeah, self-motivated yeah it is really so that's why i think it's quite good to have like the national governing body to, to to actually be supporting them which will come yeah um and i think that'll be make it all a bit more professional which i i think it really needs yeah um as well as it being really fun but i think something like a program in place is is really important so tom's tom's learned it's been on yeah it's been tricky for him it's um mentally i think because he was at a really good level just before he got injured. I think this was going to be his year, but it's also come, coincided with a time when the sport is in transition. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's not really a competition yeah, scene on the freestyle yeah. circuit at the moment. So is there? you know, it's although it's you know up. it's going to be great to be the best freestyler, I think. I think time, actually, it's a good time to be. If there's ever a good time to be injured, this yeah, is probably exactly. It. And you know, you, I always turn things around and look at things in a positive light. So he's learning all sorts of other things. Um, you know, he's got this surf foil going on. He's really excited about that, and he's making boards for it to work on. And so, um, so yeah, I think he'll come back stronger. Yeah. In and the does, end. how do Because I know for Tommy, he's suffered with injury quite a lot is he quite good at mentally picking himself up and rising above those things or does it get him down and you have to kind of help motivate him um, no not at all he's one of the he's amazing kids he's very very lucky um, because he's extremely self um, motivated when it comes to doing his fun thing yeah he's not particularly self motivated to go into the gym and bash out some kilometres um, but he's you know he will go out on the shittiest crappiest horriblest day when no one else will want to go out, it'd be freezing cold, and he's out there. He'll have two wetsuits on in that day. You know, he'll have gone out in the morning, come back in at lunchtime, be back out in the evening. He absolutely, this, he, he's a completely different person uh, when he's been on the water. Yeah. Um, but I think, as far as his mental state goes, I think providing he's actually out doing his thing, whether it's just simply bobbing around on a surfboard, he's doing happy. some surfboard tricks. He's, he's super happy. And he rolls with the punches when he gets injured and doesn't let it get him down yeah, too much. Yeah, at least at the moment. He seems yeah, to be. he seems to be. So I, don't know, I think that's pretty good strength, really. Um, no, he won't ever... This whole injury, he hasn't come ever gone down to the beach and go, oh, I really want to be out there. He, he's actually, you know, he's taking the photographs. Doing something different. Doing something different, yeah. So I think that's really good. That's and, really good. Um, 
and that 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 um, attribute will hopefully keep him in good keep stead. Going. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good when they do sort out the freestyle tour and give those kids something to do because I think a lot of people look at freestyle. Um, you know, and it's this pinnacle aspect of our sport that a lot of people can't even understand because it's so tricky to look at. Yeah. And actually, you do need it because you've got all these kids. You know, you've got people like Tom who are young and they want to do that. And if you just if you don't have a tour for them, if you don't have something for them to aspire to, it makes it really, really difficult. Yeah, they drift around. I mean, Christian Tier, he he's sort of you know, or, or Maxime, they're, they're similar to Tom in in their level, and the, um, but they but they're just driven to get to do the next trick at the moment and uh, obviously they've then got to go and put that into context in a competition and hopefully the tour will get sorted that they'll be able to do that yeah um tom's always been one of these kids that not only enjoys that but he enjoys the the strapless discipline the kite loops yeah he does everything and he, right. and he kind of does everything so um in fact oh, as much as he'd love that to be a tour i think he's quite relaxed as to what eventually he ends up doing yeah he just enjoys it all and as a mum who's got three you know, world-class athletes for sons. Have you got any advice to anyone that might be listening to this who's got kids about how you get your children into it? You know, are you one of these pushy mums or are you a standoffish? If you want to do it, do it. I'm not going to get too involved. And they've just loved it because you're always doing it. Sort of, how's that come about? Yeah, I suppose um, they had an opportunity yeah. to, from a very young age, to sail and, and be involved with boats from a really young age when we, when we had a sailing school. And uh, the natural progression, after when when uh, Eric and myself became kite surfers, um, was was actually you know they watched us obviously, but but actually was that then to then fly a kite. Yeah. So if they weren't in a pram or a cot on the beach while we were out having a go, they they were they flying they a kite. Fly, flew, flew a kite. So I think to get to to understand that. Um, if you want your child to get into something, to, to allow them to fly a kite on the beach and to mess about with it, or jumping off sand dunes, having a go on a skimboard. Well, it's a great toy for any kid. Yeah, isn't it? it's fantastic. It's always yeah, yeah. traditionally been a toy for a kid, a kite. And yeah. like you say, just because kiteboarding is this thing that uses a massive kite doesn't mean you can't get a small kite. And yeah, say, they hey, had so have much fun, fun with, with it. They made chicken loops up and they, they then attached the bar of it to a trampoline and they kind of did all this stuff which was leading them to eventually getting on the water. Um, as well as you know all the board skills like so snowboarding or, or yeah. some weightboarding or or um or just on a mountain board with with that same kite just a small it was a 2.4 meter um sting and um and i guess then in between that the other thing is with our kids was that um, because they were always involved with our business they actually didn't have that much else distracting them yeah <laughs> So they were we, eat, sleeping. Yeah, they were sort living, of pre phones. Always around. With pre phones and pre, um, you know, there wasn't any club. We didn't have YouTube to go and watch. We didn't or. have clubs where they went and and sort of got distracted. Oh, I want to go to. I mean, guy actually played footy for for a bit, but not not ever, not too intense. Yeah. And I suppose we didn't we didn't actually give them that many opportunities to do other things because after school they would always come down to work and um, and then they'd go and mess around on the kite on the beach or go for a sail or something like that and that was their that was their after school activity yeah which um, which was great it was yeah. the, you know Growing up and then the it was it wasn't long before they um, they went on the board and um, the difficulty to start with was getting hold of a gear that was that was small enough to like go around them as a harness or 
yeah. um, a small enough board. But obviously now, if you're getting in, if you're getting your kids into the sport, all of that sort of thing is much it's easier. There. Yeah. And then I think one of the biggest things is uh, the advice um, is actually it's that time on the kite. So even if it's not quite, I mean these these days like today where we've got this real gentle sea breeze, it's absolutely perfect for kids going kite surfing. Yeah. And um, you know, it's not wind quantity, it's wind quality, and those ten knot sea breezes, flat water are just absolute gold to get the kids into it. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I think it's a fantastic sport to travel with as well with your kids do you ever um probably more so tom than guy and ollie because of what he does do you ever watch them when they're doing their mega loops and just have that oh my gordon bennett that's my son and i don't want him to hurt himself moment or are you just like yeah fine whatever it doesn't bother me that they're doing these crazy tricks and jumping 100 foot up in the air and spinning the kite round and doing all sorts of crazy stuff yeah it was funny because there have been so many accidents with the king of the air um (laughs) Uh, Tom, I was not actually at home. We were actually running a trip in Cape Verde, and I, Tom was a reserve for King of the Air. Yeah. And um, so, to, so it was the Thursday night, and Tom phones me. He says, "Mum, I've got an entry. Um, I've got to be there tomorrow. Tomorrow." Because a few people got injured, didn't they, yeah. before the event? And so he and got I the call. I was sat up. there in Cape Verde, and I was thinking, I really don't want you to go. <laughs> because <laughs> you know what his mentality is like yeah. he's going to go huge so, regardless um, so the flights were ridiculous money oh, but no. for, fortunately Ollie was also in England so I said to Ollie Ollie I'm going to have to pay and you're going to have to take Tom so the two of them um, ran around for, for six hours get, pack getting packing and uh, and then I had James Barabas he, he sent me a message and he said Steph um, do you do realise it might be quite tricky to get Tom into South Africa Go, go and make sure they take the birth certificate. Well, I mean, my filing system <laughs> for a birth certificate when I'm sat in Cape Verde with very poor internet. Anyway, they managed to find this birth certificate, wow. which was quite amazing. And they got themselves there, and I think they arrived at like one in the afternoon. The event started at two. Crikey. So I think it was quite quick. So I was a little bit... I, was, I, I knew that Tom would would not be in the best physical shape after a flight like that yeah. and to have not he's kited not prepared or ready no, for it. he's just and rocked up and then he's but yeah, I think out. it was still quite cool and they'll remember that for all of their lives just that whole experience of getting the call up and running around because he had to go and get cash out of the bank um, he didn't have the money to transfer money so he didn't have money to pay for the flight so all of that was like last minute and uh, I think the two of them it was just a whirlwind trip so yeah you know, it's great that they did it together. But and, um, nerve-wracking for you at the same time. Were you watching the live stream? Yeah, I was trying to, but I couldn't really. Um, <laughs> and, and evidently he rode terribly, so, <laughs> which was in, in typical Tom fashion, because it doesn't seem to be able to perform that well under, under, under competition, particularly when he's been on a flight. Um, I don't think he was ever likely to do that, that great, but it was just a really great experience. And I think it's also motivated him to go and spend some time there and to to get get into that that scene uh, yeah, yeah I think scene, so yeah which yeah. I think is really good for any rider yeah. because they're surrounded by their peers and you know yeah. everyone's there from all the industry and that's things right. like that when that's the boys when Tom was like nine no eight or nine we did a trip to South Africa and we spent forever leaving Cape Town because we didn't have small enough kites for the boys yeah. so um, I think we're, yeah, we're going to try and get out there all of us and we sort of recreate trip. that trip sort of ten years later and you do quite a lot you know for all the travelling that you do separately one of the things I think I like about you guys is I'll see you in various places in the world and you're all together and you've all come away as a family and yeah. you put quite a lot of value on those trips, don't you? Yeah, they're we're really all going to go yeah. away and we're going to go kiting and yeah. we'll go to, you know, I think the last one 
um, you go to Australia a fair bit and you know is that sort of a really important thing that each year you know that you're going to all have that time together I think so because it's it's a Christmas time when it's a family time and um, and we all really enjoy the wave riding and we don't really get to do that much during the, the competition year season yeah. so it's really nice to just dedicate a bit of time to finding some good waves and um, living in a tent yeah. eating outside in a, in a little camping cooker and just um, yeah just enjoying each other's time really Tom loves his surfing so he's up in the morning really early doing that and everyone's really active for that time um, and in generally you know slightly warmer places in England at that time of year so it's either that or, or, or obviously yeah like you've done with the mountains but the the, um, the, the water thing seems to seems to tick the number of boxes as yeah. well and be a big focus yeah yeah yeah. and um, you know you've had an incredible life really I think and a very rich and rewarding life but it's not come easy it's all down to sort of hard work and decisions that were made at the right time and sacrifices to go and do things like on the spur of the moment to enter events and things like that are there any things when you look back on sort of the last 20 years of kiteboarding and things that you do differently maybe that you think oh you know I wouldn't have done that or that was stupid or you know we shouldn't have done that or are you sort of pretty happy with how it's gone and where you've ended up because sure. of the decisions you've made um, it's funny isn't it? I'm not one to really look back I'm always like looking forward um, so I'm always thinking of the next thing and the next plan and the next project. So, Which rings um, true with every time I see you <laughs> running around super hectic. So, so, yeah. so yeah, so maybe I don't really look back enough. I suppose kite looping my way on a five-metre Vegas up Blackpool Sands and ended up in, getting blue-lighted out of there on an ambulance having broken a sternum and my back and uh, that was a poor thing to have done. <laughs> that was a bad decision <laughs> that was when I decided oh there's not many I should probably enter the freestyle because it might help pay for some bills and that's the thing is like everything's always tried to trying to add up so like, oh I could do really well at that and that'll help pay for the accommodation or something <laughs> but that was a really poor move um, oh it's tricky isn't it um, I generally try and say yes to, to everything um the, uh, I got an opportunity to do something with Richard Branson, and I, t- I said no to that. That was probably my wow, yeah. That was really? probably the one thing I shouldn't have done. Yeah, the boys were quite poorly at the time, and we met him on Green Island, and he yeah, come on the boat with us. Had this amazing boat, and turned it down. No. Yeah, so yeah, that was a poor move. You've since um, met him, though, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Since then, we spend more time, and we talk about it because uh, it was a long time ago. It was in uh, it was in two thousand and. Okay. So the boys were really little, and we anyway. So that was probably the thing I should have said yes to. But um, you could have said yes and had ill boys puking up all over the boat. I know. So that was that. <laughs> that could have been yeah. a great anecdote. Um, yeah. Oh, you got me thinking now, Ray. I might have to come back to you on that one. You can come back to me yeah. on that one. Still. That's <laughs> all right. But I think you know, if you look back at you know where you've ended up, you've done incredibly well, and I think um, you know you should be an inspiration to anyone with a family about what you can do because some people you know get kids and then suddenly they stop kiteboarding because they're like oh I can't now I've got kids yeah, you've actually, got all the, yeah, that's right. you've actually you got more opportunities it, you've, got, you've got even more opportunities because it's a great yeah. sport to get children into and getting them involved with water whether it's paddleboarding windsurfing kiteboarding it gives them such a rich opportunity to end up doing something amazing with their life as a yeah and also to maybe like travel and work and yeah. things like that too we've got we've got the youth kids that are at that stage now 17 18 and they're like you know they've got an opportunity to have a gap year and um, we're gonna, I've got a friend out, out in um, WA Surf and he needs instructors so they're going to go and work out there and, and I just know that that's going to be a massive life-changing experience for, yeah. for some of those kids. And the youth thing something new that you've been doing, right? It's basically you've got your kite school in Exmouth and you have a, a kids club, I guess, or a youth, youth coaching sure. club. How did that come about? Well, I guess we'd always been involved with teaching children 
um, whether it was in sailing and um, more recently with our own children, kite surfing. And I guess because we'd always taught the children quite young, everyone always looked at us and thought we were barking mad. Um, and, uh, but then they started to say, well, how do I get my kids into it? So, so in fact, um, we'd been teaching children for quite a long time. Um, and, then, and then it became apparent that we needed to really embrace the amount of kids that we've taught and to sort of, you know, put them through those next stages of progression. So to meet regularly and um, yeah. to get film and so to not get... just teaching them and then letting yeah, them go. That's right. Take them on a bit of a yeah, journey and that's right. progression. And in fact, out of the, 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 um, the freestyle event here now, I think we've got six from Exmouth that are competing on on the tour so that's really cool and um, there's more coming up as well so it, it's um you know it's not an easy sport to to get the hang of and it's not an easy sport to access if you haven't got much money so we try to facilitate that for local families that you know haven't necessarily got the money all the time or the ability to to get over to that sandbank because it's safer to learn than it is on the beach um, so we, we try to make that and it, and, it, and it gives a really good vibe I think as well Awesome and at this stage of your life what's kiteboarding mean to you at the moment is it a job is it still a passion is it uh, a business is it a means to make an end or you know how do you feel about the sport at the moment because you've been doing it a long time and you've sort of been around the block and done everything that you could want to achieve you know you've been a world champion several times um, you know what's it mean for you at the moment i suppose competition wise um it, i'm very i'm very sort of status quo i i, I enjoy it I, enjoy, I actually enjoy the training and the practice more than going to an event and dealing with that whole event just because i, I just enjoy being on the water still yeah. whatever fashion form or fashion i love being on the water with the boys we train every night and go around boys and we have little exercises we test things and i love that hour it's only about an hour an hour night really yeah. in a variety of conditions and um and i think if i keep by keeping that up it it's it obviously makes it easier for me to to turn up to an event and still be competitive yeah um and i suppose on a work level um i still really enjoy introducing people to the sport whether it's beginners or improving people is intermediate because i don't do it um every single day because you can't because it's not windy every single day i think it keeps you fresh as, an, as a coach yeah um and I, I i quite enjoy watching people the way people learn yeah um whatever whatever their level really um so you know we, we teach really old people as well as really young people and you know it's a really challenging learning curve for those people but I think it's also really important to to give people time so they can embrace it and um, have some change in their life like it has done to us yeah yeah but, but I guess kind for me I'm certainly not at the end of the road we're, yeah. we're, we're at the I think we're sort of at a crossroads um, of change with the Olympics but I think um, it'll still be this I hope that this Christmas we'll still meet in Australia and yeah. go and hack away some waves <laughs> and uh, put the foils and all the rest of that to bed it's, it's um I, I suppose I, I'm not on the water enough um, really because I'm, I've got a hell of a lot going on in, yeah. in my work life so the kiting um, is, is still very special it's not a job it's not a job and it's not and it's not a professional I don't feel like a professional athlete but so I really, really enjoy the small time that I get yeah, to that improve. Hour a day yeah, and with and, the boys. and and I suppose um, you know if I if I'm improving, and admittedly as you get older you 
or and and as your level goes up your improvements are very small but you, you do notice those and um, you need to put more time in to the sport to get better um, so any opportunity I've got where I go out before then maybe for half an hour just to kind of get myself <laughs> ready for the beating when they come, when they come. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah no they mom. do all that and I, I I give them like 30 seconds I say well we'll start here and you I, I'm going now catch me up or I'll say we'll do a small course and they've got to lap me and things like that um and, I, and I'm I'm fine with that that's great and it really pushes them yeah that's quite amazing that even after all this time you know the, the one sort of favorite thing about kiteboarding for you is still just that hour on the water with your sons yeah going around the marks and yeah that's interesting isn't it having I've, fun that's yeah. that's really cool yeah yeah i think no, that's probably a, a nice place to end that chat there steph thank that's you quite a nice message for anyone listening that you know just time on the water is a really important thing and you know if you've got a family then there's no reason why you can't get involved with water sports at whatever level you want to get into it so steph multiple world champion thank, thank you very you much very much for really. thank you that was awesome thank I think you we got that in didn't we there we have it episode three done and dusted i really love the way steph holds precious that moment with her boys kite surfing at least once a day just even if it's for an hour or so it just goes to show that kiteboarding can be a great way to bond families and as they say people that play together stay together if you've enjoyed this podcast be sure to subscribe and please share it with your friends on social media Until next week, you've been listening to Rue Chater and the Intriguing Beings podcast.